Welcome to Stories from the Heart. Today on Stories from the Heart, two pieces about dads for Father's Day. The first is a true story of a young woman estranged from her father. Meeting an old man in a nursing home, she thinks of him as her replacement father. Then she learns his story. Stay tuned for this story plus three ways of looking at dad on another Stories from the Heart. If you only knew my father. He was an old man who seemed alone in the world. I was a young woman who was no longer in touch with her father. It's not surprising that we were drawn to each other. We met the day I started volunteer training at a local convalescent center. Coming up the steps, I saw a big man with thick gray hair sitting in a wheelchair on the porch. He was wearing a bright orange shirt and rainbow striped suspenders. As I approached the glass doors, he rolled his chair over and, still smiling, struggled forward to grasp the door handle. Then, gallantly holding the door open, he smiled at me. Name's Ray, he told me. I'm Lanny. I'm a new volunteer. I noticed the thickness of Ray's glasses didn't hide the brightness of his eyes. Well, you'll be Bubba to me, he said. Down where I come from, that's a love name folks give to the little one in the family. I like that, I said, meaning it. His way with me was so warm and open, so unlike the gruff indifference my father had always shown me. Every Wednesday when I came for training, Ray was waiting at the top of the steps to open the door for me. The volunteers' classes were taught by Sharon, an energetic woman who combined sympathy and faith with a keen understanding of the social and emotional needs of the elderly. When the training was over, the patients I was assigned to didn't include Ray, but... I'd visit him on my own time. His greeting was always an eager, Hi, Baba. Little by little, we stored up facts about each other. When I described my husband to Ray, he told me he was married too. What he said was, we decided not to get a divorce. Do you have any children? Oh, sure. Are they able to come to visit, I asked. Oh, yes, they come, he said and looked away. I'd never seen anyone visit Ray. Probably his family lives far away, and they don't get here often, I thought. Each week we spent some time together. I brought Ray vitamin C when I read it might be good for asthma, the disabling condition he suffered from. I gave him little gifts like a soft beige washcloth and towel. He taught me how to play dominoes and saved his dessert for me. With little acts of caring and relaxed conversation, we nourished our relationship. We drew so close that as I was leaving one day, a housekeeper noticed Ray waving to me from the porch and remarked, Your father sure loves you. He's not. My throat closed before I could finish the sentence. I rushed to my car. If only you knew my father. There were no dominoes or desserts from my always too busy, too tired father. Most of the time I tried not to think about him because it hurt so much. But now the housekeeper's comment opened up memories. And as usual, I went back to the terrible thing he'd done to me on the day of my marriage, the final embarrassing blow at my wedding reception. The band had begun a waltz, and the leader came up to the microphone. Time for the bride and father to dance, he announced breezily. Everyone watched expectantly. No, my father said. He turned and left the room, leaving me standing by myself on the dance floor. When my father turned away from me that day, 
The bitterness I'd accumulated while I was growing up took over my feelings. All the resentment about his not being on hand for important school events, the times he threatened to walk away from the burdens of his work and leave my mother and me. I could walk away from him this time, and I did. That had been five years ago. Once in a while I thought about trying to patch things up, but it seemed too awkward and complicated. Anyway, I had Ray now. But then one day I drove up to the center and Ray wasn't on the porch. I parked the car crookedly and ran up the steps, tripping on the top. Where was he? I raced to his room, dodging patience. It was empty. No wheelchair, no one in the neatly made bed. Please, God, I whispered. Where's Ray, I blurted. They took him to the hospital last night. His asthma got much worse. What hospital is he at, I asked. I'll check, the nurse said. Are you family? I'm his friend. I held my breath and bit my lip to gain control. I'd almost said daughter. She gave me the hospital's name. The trip to the hospital took forever. Once there, I found Ray's room and dolted to a stop in the doorway. His pajama top was off and he had many tubes. He looked hot and uncomfortable. He turned his head and saw me. Baba, I knew you'd find me. Ray, you weren't there. I was so scared and I started sobbing. Come here, Baba, it's okay. He held out his arms as best he could. I sat down beside him on the bed and rested my head on his massive chest. Somehow he got an arm around me. It's okay, Bubba. You came, he said. You came to see me. He patted my back. I listened while he talked and I drew calm. When it was time to leave, I stood in the doorway and said, I'll come to see you tomorrow, Ray. Okay, Bubba, he answered. The next morning I was eating breakfast when the phone rang. I stood to answer it. When I heard Sharon's voice, my hand tightened on the receiver and I leaned against the wall, knocking down the calendar. We don't usually call volunteers, but I don't want you to read it in the paper. I know how close you and Ray were. He died yesterday, she said gently. That can't be. I was with him yesterday. I know. He died a few hours later. After we hung up, I walked slowly outside to the curb and picked up the paper. I turned the obituaries and read about Ray O'Brien. Suddenly I felt a surge of anger rip through the sorrow. He'd indeed have a wife and children. He had 12 children, six sons and six daughters, and all but two of his family lived in the area. And yet I had been the last person to be with him to comfort him. I called Sharon back. Tell me, I demanded, why weren't his family with him? Why was I the only one to be with him? Sharon hesitated. Finally, she began talking. I'm going to tell you something I think you deserve to know. Ray used to be a drunk. He beat his wife and his children. When he came to live here, they never wanted to see him again. No, I don't believe it, I shouted. And yet I remembered Ray's reluctance to talk about his family, the family who never visited. But this person Sharon was describing couldn't be the loving man who called me Bubba. It's true, Sharon said. She paused. But other things are true, too. When he came to the center, Ray talked some things out with me. By then he'd faced the unpleasant facts about himself. He'd been abused as a child, and he realized that one of the reasons he drank was that he thought it helped him with his bad feelings about himself, but it only aggravated them, and then he'd take his anger out on his family. Over and over he asked God's forgiveness, and he wanted his family to forgive him too, but it was too late. They wanted no part of him. 
I thought of him as a father, I said shakily. And Ray thought of you as a daughter. He told me so. You give him a chance to feel forgiven. It's probably the most Christ-like thing that one person can do for another. I think God used you to comfort a sad, lonely old man with nothing in his life but regrets. We said goodbye. My thoughts moved slowly, leadenly. Ray and his children were estranged, just as my father and I were. What was it that happened between parents and children? Why were the most damaging relationships always between those who had the most intimate link of flesh and blood? Bending down, I picked up the calendar I'd knocked off the wall. It was open to June, to a picture of a little girl and her father gone fishing. Once, long ago, my father had taken me fishing. It was a good memory, a memory I had shoved under all the bad ones. It was easier to be mad at him if I didn't think about the good things or about the hard life he had. His mother had died when he was a small boy, and he spent his childhood working in the fields with his father. He'd never gone to high school and had supported my mother and me with jobs he hated, hauling trash, cleaning the beer coils and bars. Eventually, he built his own business, often working all night and falling into an exhausted sleep in the afternoon. He had done so, so I could go to college. So you don't turn out like me, he often said. And eventually, as I wandered back in memory, I came to that final painful incident at my wedding. And then, only then, did I remember an excuse someone had made for him, one that I had been too hurt to pay attention to. That day, my father was wearing his first tuxedo, the fancy clothes, the customs that went with the better life he'd slaved for were foreign to him, and he didn't know how to dance. Slowly, I put the calendar back on the wall. Then I picked up the phone. I needed to call my father. Three Ways of Looking at Dad In early childhood, Dad is a symbol of strength, wisdom, and security. He is a friend and protector, hero, and model. He knows the answer to all questions, and he's not afraid of the dark. When Dad is around, his children feel safe and secure. They are certain that nothing can hurt them. They are content just to be near him, and to walk with a hand at his big hand is something approaching perfect joy. When he comes home from work, they run happily to meet him and gurgle excitedly as he swings them high in his strong arms. For a brief and glorious period, he is not only father and provider, but high priest of the family hearth. Genius beyond compare. Benefit, dispenser of lollipops and wisdom. Guardian angel and defender against enemies. Entertainer and respiratory of the world's choicest knowledge. But soon the picture changes. Teenage sons and daughters discover that dad is not the complete genius they had previously supposed. They have new idols, and in comparison, Dad is, well, a sorry figure. Of course, he's useful for some things like writing checks or loaning the car for the evening, but he is so old-fashioned. All he knows is business and history and classical music and other dull stuff like that. He tells the same long-winded jokes over and over and keeps talking about how things were when he was young. How can he get on the same wavelength with somebody like that? There is, however, a third phase. Sooner or later, in the lives of almost everybody, there arrives a time when Dad comes back into his own. This time, he does not receive the unreasoning adoration of childhood. 
His human frailties are clearly recognized. What his mature children give to dad, if he deserves it, is a sober, grateful tribute that bespeaks the realization of what their father has met in their lives. What happens is that the truth suddenly dawns on them of how unselfishly their father worked for his family, how little he asked for himself. Looking back, they marveled at the tolerance with which their father treated their bad manners, their selfishness, their disregard for the peace and comfort of the family, their greed for privileges, their dodging family responsibility. He had all his faults, they tell himself, but he was a pretty good dad after all. One can only hope that the evolution to stage three does not take too many years or come too late for affectionate expression. Thank you for joining us in Stories from the Heart. Today's true story was written by Leilani Appleyard and published in Guideposts. Three Ways of Looking at Dad came from the Ligorian Magazine. For a copy of this or any of my stories, email Sandra at AveMariaRadio.net. Stories from the Heart is recorded in the studios of Ave Maria Radio. I'm Sandra McDevitt. May God bless the rest of your day. Missed the show? Not sure if it came from Ave Maria Radio? Go to AveMariaRadio.net. A list of shows and hosts are there. And if you find the show you're looking for, you can hear the whole thing again by going through the Ave Maria Radio audio archives. For two years, we've recorded nearly every show from Ave Maria Radio. Just click on the audio archives message located at the center of our homepage. Now you even have more reasons to become a radioactive Catholic by going to AveMariaRadio.net.